Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 215. Woohoo. Okay. So um, I think tomorrow when this podcast comes out, comes out, like I have a webinar. So come bug me. Oh, this is your uh, your first webinar, right? Yeah, it'll be my first webinar. So I'll bound to mess it up. It's <laughs> a <So> swarm. <laughs> like everyone yeah. join up. <laughs> yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna post it in our Slack channel and see how many people I can get to show up because I got to beat everyone else that's been doing these webinars. I think Chris Church did one. His was the first one, and then I think Chris Mullins did the second one. Chris Church is the CEO, and Chris Mullins is uh, he does sales something something like that, I did, like and sales engineer or something like that. I don't know. I've never actually met him. He was he was post my time. Um, he does a lot of, of everything, I think, but, um, I'm actually looking at our about us page so I can see what his <laughs> official title is. Yeah. Cause everyone has like a really swanky title at Macro. Yes. Senior vice president of sales. Yeah. Okay. See, I knew sales was in there somewhere with him, Yeah. but he's a, but he's a, a trained engineer, right? No, no. Like, oh, I thought, I thought he, I thought he was a degreed engineer. No. Oh, okay. I don't think cool. Mullins... I might be incorrect, but I'm pretty sure he does not have a degree in engineering. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, Mullins, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also listens to this podcast like right when it comes out. So. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, cool. He's probably gonna be running to my desk tomorrow when when he listens. He's to like, this. I have a PhD yeah. in engineering. <laughs> <laughs> um. See, I've actually I'm looking at the Baldus page. I actually have the longest title. Oh, do I you really? Adding more and more stuff to it. It's like co-founder, lead application engineer, and then podcast co-host. So I need uh, to keep adding more and more stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. You need you need more projects to get more more titles. More titles. <laughs> <laughs> and and so the webinar that you're doing is, um, I think we talked about it last week, but it's just in general, it's kind of like people can join up and hang out and ask their questions. And, yeah. How uh, does the platform work? What um, does it do for you? That kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, but so there's no that, like set agenda, I guess. I I think the agenda is to go. Th- there is like bullet points I have to hit, like sure. showing how the platform works for like like salespeople or how it works for uh, purchasing managers or how do how does an engineer use it. But 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 it's but what I'm getting at with no set agenda, it's not like people log in and watch you just walk through a PowerPoint. Correct. Yeah, yeah. it's not like it's not because be you'd like have like zero people doing. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. So I've been working on the brewery. Finally, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it's inching closer and closer and closer to uh, brew dates, right? Yeah, brew date twenty twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> that's optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was supposed to be done on the on at the end of nineteen, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so I got the pumps mounted. Oh, cool. I ended up using that aluminum on a because I said I had some like quarter inch aluminum leftover from a previous product yeah. uh, project funny enough that you had the same thing and you used your leftover aluminum for yeah. mounting the spindle on your cnc well i ended up using it for a different project <laughs> <laughs> um, so wait would you would you make your brackets out of or did you go buy new material i 3d printed it oh okay yeah so i'll share the model and stuff um, i'm gonna start i'm gonna print one tonight um so i'm i modeled it out of a. Uh, 
I guess, out of bits, right? You model it out of bits mm. on the computer screen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm going to print it out polycarbonate. Um, it should be plenty, plenty strong enough. Um, and I'm, I did, like, captive bolts. So that way, like, when I mount the bracket, I can just mount, I can take the pump on and off easily without having to, you know, get a wrench on the backside. Um, yeah, should be, it should be plenty strong enough. I mean, yeah, polycarbonate. Sure. So... Well, but but you do have these pumps hanging upside, upside down, down, so you're fighting gravity all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as gravity doesn't decide to be stronger. Right. So the so the but the biggest the biggest thing is like the weight of the pump, it vibrates a lot when it's running and it gets moderately warm. That's yeah. the but your brackets will be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. Um if not, then I'll just make them out of something else. Oh, if, if these end up not working, I can send it off to Zometry and get them machined. Yeah. <laughs> or you can machine them for me. I could machine them for you. Yeah. yeah. So let's try the polycarbonate because I bet you it's going to be completely it's fine. It's probably just fine. And if, if it's not, then we'll machine some out of aluminum. Your, your print bed is big enough to make like a monster bracket for these things. I mean, these pumps are not that big. They're like, what? They, yeah, they're a like by uh, six inches. Like, yeah, four by six and then about an inch tall. Um, well, about a half inch tall. And then they um, weigh maybe two pounds, two to four. What, the pumps? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 around that, that weight. They're pretty beefy, though. Have you ever taken the head off of, uh, the head, the pump head off of one of those? Yeah, I, I, I do it. I, when I was brewing once a month, I would take it off and I would, um, uh, heavily clean the inside because it's a magnetic head. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because, like, there's no shaft for the motor to go through it's a magnetic rotational thing that's why they have to be primed uh because if it doesn't have the load of a liquid to push against then the motor can just burn out so be careful about that ah, yeah, yeah, yeah it'll yeah. just f- freewheel spin with no load <laughs> yeah that's why I'm, I'm mounting my pumps underneath the pots yeah so it should be pretty easy to make sure that's a thing you know, I've, I've read a handful of things online before I bought my my pump where people were like, don't even let it run for one second without without liquid in it. And I've accidentally, you know, had not had liquid or I was at the end of the pump and it, and it finished the last little bit and it ran for an extra, I don't know, 20 seconds or so. It was fine. But like people were like, it only takes one second for it to blow up and it'll explode and you'll die. <laughs> and, and I don't know, like... So be careful, but I don't think you have to be, I don't know, the internet's full of alarm. Yeah, well, I mean, even the manufacturer warns about it, so. Right, right. Because, I mean, it, it, it could happen, for sure. It could happen, yeah. It's just, yeah, don't do it continuous. Yeah. Um, so then once I get these brackets printed, I'm going to try printing them tonight. I'll probably get, they'll be done by the end of this week. I'm going to get the, the pumps mounted and then start bending up tubing. Like, I got... That whole roll, I ordered 25 feet of rolled stainless, half-inch mm. tubing, and proceeded to unroll it straight in eight-foot sections. Because um, trying to manage a 25-foot, half-inch diameter tube is a little unbearable. Mm. Um, so I cut it up into eight-foot sections, and that's been like lying on the floor of my garage for like three months, taunting me. So I need to get in there and get the pumps mounted, and then all the tubing bent. And then uh, once all the tubing's bent, just, like, finish that electrical box and mount that. Nice. And then take it all apart so I can paint it. 
<laughs> they put it all back together again. But that's that's like the home stretch. Like the moment I get to that part, I'm like, I, I, I'm not gonna stop. I'll probably <laughs> be like four o'clock in the morning, like spray painting stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and and then and then you go right into the brew, right? Yes, right, right away. It's like, it's yeah. like 72 hours of straight work. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's getting really close to being done. I can't wait. I'm hoping... Uh, it's March now, isn't it? Ugh. Two and... Two, it's almost two and a half months through 2020 already. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> wow. The, so, uh, we, I asked this question before, and I, I don't think you had, like, a... Sp- specific answer maybe you've put some more thought into it what's your first brew gonna be oh so the i'm actually i got my my brew book here oh yeah his black book my black book (laughs) of all my brews i've the best thing about this is actually i recorded my first brew day Mm. so i started brewing in april 2013 oh nice so i want to brew if i can brew april 6th 2020 with my new rig, that'd be a seven-year anniversary. Oh, that's cool. So, um, well, then you, yeah, you should, yeah, you got plenty of time for that. You say that it's like <laughs> three weeks away. Yeah. That, <laughs> In reality, there is not a lot of work left on it. It's just like, like I'm getting to roadblocks. Like yeah. you know, when you're designing something, and you're kind of like, like, like you, like uh, my original like drawing for this was just like on like an appliance schematic, right? At best. It's like, yeah, like like you draw it and you're like, yeah, that should be doable, right? Yeah. And you get like 90% of the way done built and you're like, ah, oh, crap, there's something in here that like is really hard to manufacture or make. <laughs> Yo, or like yeah. throws a whole monkey wrench in like, the whole idea with this, this system I wanted to build was make it really easy to clean. Hmm. And then like I got it all built and I'm like, oh crap, how do I get the grain out? <laughs> It's all like, yeah. okay, crap. I, I got to figure it out. I got to design a crane now to pick the grain, the crane grain to pick it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you, that's what you should call it. The crane grain, not the grain crane. The crane grain? The crane grain. Yeah. Okay. And there, no, you, that needs to be like on a plate on the side of it. Oh, I was going to get a vinyl sticker on it. Oh, that, that works too. Yeah. Oh, I should, I should engrave a plate and send that to you. I'll totally oh, you do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The brewery two years in the making, right? Oh, yeah. Brew day 2021. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, so, so yeah, we, we got off track. What, what's what's the brew you're going to do? Are you going to do... Uh-huh. Wait, are you going to do the one you this, did? I just saw something. Wait, is our brew in there? My social security card's in here. <laughs> did you lose it seven years ago? No, no. I haven't been looking for it, and I just like. Well, now you huh. know. Now you okay. can put it somewhere else and lose it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why was it in my brew book? I had no idea. Or my brew notebook, I should say. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, my first brew I ever did was a. Let's see. What was it? An American rye ale. That's an Ooh, odd first brew. Yeah, maybe I should just rebrew this and see if it was. Good. I, see, I don't have tasting notes. I just have like notes I took while I was brewing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it probably wasn't that good. Probably not. 
just because it was your first one, and I've never met a single person who had a good first brew. Like I've, I, I, I've had some. I hit seventy five percent efficiency. Apparently, that's not terrible. Wait, your first yeah. brew was all grain. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Most people do syrup. Let's see. Irish red ale was my next one. That I remember that beer was not good. <laughs> I brewed a Guinness as my first one and it and it tasted like vinegar. Oh, see this beer was good. Yeah. So this uh, this beer I called the Red Coat Rebellion IPA, okay. which was a uh it was like a mixture between a English IPA and an, an American style IPA. So I had uh Nugget American hops with a grain bill of uh, British grains, and this was my my British friend was getting married, and so I oh. brewed this beer for it. That's cool. And that was a really good beer. Like a whole bunch of um, Norwegians were at the wedding, mm. and they were like, "Oh yeah, this is good beer," and they got like completely shit faced hammered. <laughs> it was hilarious. That's like, funny. I don't think they were used to beer being. Six point seven two percent ABV. Apparently, <laughs> that's kind of hefty <laughs> for um, for just you know like walking around a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can do that. Um, do the rye. Seven years in the making. Yeah, just brew brew that rye beer exactly like how I brewed it. Yeah, Liberty and Cascade is the uh, Liberty is weird. Okay, those are those are both hops. Yeah, I know, but Liberty Hops. Oh, okay, uh, for the users, uh, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah. yeah Liber- Liberty Hops. I don't think I've ever brewed anything with Liberty ever again. Maybe that's a sign that you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Because I don't think I've ever brewed that one again. Yeah. Um, there's that uh, Fat Elvis. Fat Elvis is good. Uh, my Mocktoberfest mm-hmm. beer. I'll brew that. I like that beer a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's still kind of cool in quotes here in Houston, so. <laughs> what, what what temperature is it right now? Is it in the uh, 80s? 77. 77, <laughs> it's yeah. It's actually really nice for 77. It's, like, kind of cool. So. Uh, I'll take you so away yeah, for it. Got to get that brewery done. So I got three weeks now. That's my new target is to brew, was I say, April 4th? When is that? You said it, it happens to be a Saturday. Um, it's like destiny. Stretch goals is get it done in two weeks. Yeah, stretch goal. <laughs> so I can <laughs> test it. Yeah, yeah. Get your okay. efficiency up before. Oh, yeah, you don't, don't want to have to figure out all the valves on brew day. Uh, I actually I wrote a a diagram, a valve map, a valve map. <laughs> And I got. I'm gonna three print little like arrows that I can put on the gate on the valves, because all of them are like those three way valves, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I need an arrow to point like where flow is going. Uh yeah, because if it's three way and you, like it, it matters the sequence. Well, yeah, because because the, the handles are spin three sixty. Right. So. Um, and then for work. I've been working a lot with Python scripting. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, and I've been doing a lot of like report generation and building PDFs because apparently people still like PDFs. Whatever. Um, uh, why? P- PDFs feel professional. I guess so. They look nice. Is that what's that? Professional document format? The PDF? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, 
every single Python module I've used for PDF creation absolutely is garbage. Why is that? It's just none of them make sense. Like how you craft a a a uh, PDF. I think it's it might be because a lot of them are like wrappers for other things. Like there's one uh, PDF module that you basically build HTML in your like you build an HTML document and then it converts that HTML document to a PDF. Um, the one that I'm using right now is called FPDF and it uses like tables to build PDFs. That makes sense. So you kind of build it like an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. Huh. Okay. It, it, it's the best in quotes one, I think. Um, maybe it was the first one because I would, or first one I was able to wrap my head around on how it worked. But yeah, they all kind of are not very good. Um, so if anyone out there in Twitter or Slackland has been using Python to be, do PDFs, let me know what you're using because all of them kind of suck. Um, I'd like that. Write your one own, that actually makes sense. Hmm? Yeah, write my own. Yes. If anyone wants a hardware engineer's Python module. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, what uh, what all what, what are you actually trying to accomplish with that? So building reports, like when we're sending out stuff for quoting or stuff like that. Like right now, um, what used to be. You know, like gathering all the information that we need to send out to get quotes and stuff. This just straight up automates it. So you're like, okay, I want to quote this thing. I press one button and it generates a report with all the information, when it was timestamped, version control, all that stuff. Hmm. Um, trying to automate that process so we, you know, less mess ups and screw ups. And um, the big thing is revision control. Sure. So, like, when was this doc? When did we? collect all this information for quoting <laughs> I, i'm i'm not actually asking this question but like it sounds like there's a reason you guys needed that <laughs> like like a screw up or something like that we're like okay we're no it's not this. really uh a screw up made this it was i came on board to work with with sales and logistics on like making their stuff more efficient and that was one of the big things was like they had everything everywhere how they were storing information and i'm like okay we're going to fix this make it one place where everything lives and we'll make scripts to run reports so you click a button get a report and then uh everything's been groovy nice so the problem right now is like if i need to make a new report i've kind of like built a template in python that i can like copy paste around yeah um it would be nicer to have proper templates though but I might basically what I'm thinking of, I need to do is make a module that uses FPDF in its back end. That's a template module. Hmm. Um, but I, I got to figure out how to make, do Python modules. It's kind of uh, confusing how those work. I guess is a good way to, to, to explain it. I haven't been able to figure out how to make modules yet in Python. Hmm. Like because in C, you just like, you make a new C, or you make a header file with all your definitions and stuff, and then you can just call you can just call your header file at the top of your other file, and then you kind of get everything, right? You get what you use. Yeah, you get what you use. Whereas Python, it has similar things like that, but I don't know how to make like 
a call from to another Python file yet. Cleanly, at least. <laughs> what, have you found a dirty way to do it? Well, yeah, there's like, you can just like... Just uh, force it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a weird way. There's got to be a, a legit way to do it. Well, mainly because there's a... I mean, people make modules all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Python has to be able to do that pretty yeah. easily. Oh, it does. It's just I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Yeah. So that's what I'm next at in my learning Python is building modules now. Man, okay. So, so a little bit of a side tangent. Just what what you were saying there kind of sparked it in my mind. The uh, what you're saying about uh, you went into the department and noticed that everyone was kind of doing disparate things and they were jumbled all over the place. I think that's one of the most fun aspects of being an engineer in manufacturing is like going in seeing how everything is kind of just like barfed all over the place and then figuring out how to make the process such that it all like congeals into something that makes more sense like i don't know like making the process more efficient and uh figuring out all of those little aspects uh and and especially figuring out what what is being done that doesn't need to be done or what needs to be done that isn't those that's just really fun i really geek out on that stuff oh yeah that's that's i mean that's pretty much what i've always done at macrofab so yeah yeah um that this is my next next big task is like solving this problem streamlining yeah, for sure it. yeah like at at uh, at wmd when we got our new mill and uh we purchased the mill with the intent of completely doing our own panel manufacturing our own like front panel manufacturing and we bought that mill and none of those processes were there so i mean i've i've spent a good portion of the last year going from nothing to building the entire like here's how we do manufacturing for panels and and what's been really fun is going from like figuring out how to just do it to figuring out like how do we standardize around it how do we do all of our file creation how do we make it such that it's um bulletproof and then now my like i were like crank in production all the time my main goal right now is to press the fewest amount of buttons on that machine as possible like i want it so i walk in in the morning i take what was cut off the machine put new material down press a few buttons and then leave and repeat that the next morning. I don't want to do anything throughout the day on it. And I'm getting close to that. I mean, it's almost doing that every day now, like 24 hour runs on the mill. And I just don't even want to look at it. You can load that much material in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our stuff takes a good bit of time to cut. Gotcha. Uh, we do have some programs that are over 30 hours of cutting. Um, just mainly, it's actually not, I shouldn't even say cutting. We do so much engraving. Because we engrave that take a long text, time? that takes so long. But it looks ah, really good, and it's got a really clean look, and you can't scratch off something that isn't there. Uh, yeah. So it's it's you know it holds up better because with Eurorack synthesizers, the whole purpose is to like plug things in, and yep. there's there's a phrase called rack rash where you know like you're trying to plug things in and you're ha hitting all your panels with jacks and things. Your like ring that. is hitting stuff. Yeah. yeah. It, Silk screen is great, but it'll eventually chip, and and uh, ink printing will chip, chip and stuff. So we we figured engraving is impossible. Like even if you scratch your panel, you can still read it. Yeah, you know. So, but but the but the whole thing of like working with my vendors to provide material in like specific sizes that are perfect for what we need, and then working through the process to 
get it so the programs are just like plug and play. Man, like even though it's diminishing returns, I love the hunt for that. Like, how can I save a little bit more time on this? Yep. You know, I I think you should start diving into Python, man. It really that's like yeah. It like I would say that scripting language saves me so much time. That's like, that's the next step for me um, in in terms of this process building because right now I'm still doing a handful of uh, manual code adjustments uh, to make our programs right. But so at the at the time of generation, I have to do a little bit of copying pasting. It's just a few characters, <clears throat> but I still have to do it. I mm-hmm. would love to be able to have a Python script just do that for me such that I press go and it's there, you know? Well, we could do a uh, like a screen share sometime and, and uh, I can show you how to do that because I know how to do that part. That'd be awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, it's been... It's been a while since we've done one of those. The last one we did, I think, was... Uh, we did a debounce code circuit. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Actually, that was over a year what, ago. Because I was in my was that in for, apartment. That was for the, uh, my uh, micro tracer, the tube tester. That's right, yeah. 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 So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to set that up. That, that would be a bunch of fun. Yep. Because we could probably knock that out in an hour or two. Oh, easily, yeah. Just because like, the thing that's, that's nice about it is like I know... I know everything. I know the inputs, and I know what the outputs need to be. I just need to connect the dots. Yep. So. Especially if you're like injecting like the same code, and you know where it needs to go in the, in the file. Like, let's say it's line like eight. It needs to go in line eight, or it needs to go like after a certain key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You basically would. What you do is you would load in your file yeah. into into the Python module into RAM, basically. And then you would look line by line until you find what you want, and then uh, put and then in dump your stuff. characters in, yeah, yeah. And then you would out, uh, output RAM. That's and, exactly uh, what I need. Uh, so the 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 specific line it will be different for every program, but there are some key words that always show up in the same places. Like like every program starts with uh, the word absolute, and then immediately after the word absolute i add three or four lines of code and uh so we and and absolute doesn't exist before that in the code so i mm-hmm. just need to find the first instance instance of absolute and then dump some code in basically we can do that cool let's set it up and speaking of cnc yeah. steven your cnc is moving now mostly mostly moving okay. i say mostly because two of the axes are moving the uh, the third axis um, so the x axis which is the uh, the the gantry axis the the main the longest axis um, I wanted to purchase new sprockets for it because uh, it is a chain drive and uh, the old sprockets I had were rusted and kind of gross because they were out in the Houston humidity yeah I mean they were outside. Yeah, effectively outside for years. Right, right, <laughs> and 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 frankly, I probably could have used them. They weren't in like awful shape or anything like that. But whatever, I'll just buy new sprockets. So uh, those actually just arrived yesterday. So tonight, I'm gonna weld on the uh, those sprockets and get the x-axis moving. But the other two, the y and the and the z-axis, I have moving, which is awesome. Um, it was funny because I can't remember what we were talking about earlier. 
oh yeah your your brew rig and like you know you have all the drawings and everything like that and you're like oh this is easy and you get like 90 percent of the way through and and it was easy i ran into that like i've been working on this cnc now for a few months uh and everything has been super smooth sailing until last weekend and it was just like ah, i kept running into all kinds of like just stupid things like it always is too it's yeah. like something you should have thought about and you might not have the right part anymore or i've ran into where like i had to order parts and i went to go order like i had to order like three new like like 90 degree bend like stainless quarter inch npt fittings right yeah go to the place where i normally buy them they're all sold out. And I'm like, well, <sighs> yep. <laughs> yeah, well, like I, I, I built I built this entire base for the thing went beautifully. I, I cut and built uh, my torsion box. Not a single cut was bad. Everything just went together flawlessly. I, I made um, I ran 220 in my basement and then made a sub panel and then ran all the electronics for the CNC and like never didn't do any double work on anything like it was all just like super easy sailing and then and then on the on the weekend i i find that the plate that is the gosh what is it the z y axis plate so the the plate that holds the the vertical z axis that slides across the gantry in the y direction that plate was it could have been better so mm -hmm. i ended up just refabricating it and in refabricating it, I drilled some of the holes kind of crappy. <laughs> well, like it was one of those things where it's like I drilled them. I, I used a center punch and, and drilled them and I was like, hey, this is great. And then I put a bolt through it and the bolt was cocked at an angle. I was like, oh, damn it. Because I don't have a drill press. You would think that's something yeah. I would have, but I do not. So I did that one by hand. Luckily, like the actual, the holes don't. They just need to be generally in this in the right spot because they get tensioned. So I just bored them open a little bit, <laughs> and that worked out. But put the drill bit in there and wiggle it a bit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I did it. <laughs> but then, like, so I get all of that installed and everything's great, and I'm like, oh, I've had my CNC computer for years, and I go to turn it on. Uh, well, actually, let me back up. I go to plug it all in and realize that it's the motherboard is super old on it because it was the last motherboard I could buy that had a parallel port on it. And um, I realized it only has VGA connections. So I go scouring my whole house, and I can't find a VGA cable anywhere because why would I have a VGA cable? Yeah, you got rid of everything when you moved. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah but also, like, even then, why would I have a VGA cable? So I got to go get a VGA cable. And then I go to turn it all on, and the computer doesn't turn on. Uh, oh, no. And I'm just like, ah, so I... So, eventually like i'm looking at the at the motherboard and i remember it has a cr2032 battery for the bios backup and i just replaced that and everything fires up so like it was just crapping on the cmos um, oh, I got you initialization yeah, it was, yep. so it's just like you know it's one of those things where it's like everything went smoothly until one day where everything didn't yeah uh, but regardless you know overcame all of that and um I've been doing uh, axis calibrations on stuff just because, I mean, all the numbers I had should be generally the same, but I wanted to redo it because the last time I I really spent time on it, I didn't have the same measurement tools I have now. Um, mm -hmm. And and I was calibrating my Z-axis just the other day and uh, actually using a, a micrometer for it, a dial mic, and um, I, I got it to go a, a, an inch 
which is about as far as I can go with with my with my mic, and uh, it's within a thousandth of an inch across an inch, uh, which you know that's if you're calibrating between two points on a CNC, you can make those two points flawless. So that doesn't mm-hmm. define the actual accuracy of the machine. That means that between those two points, it's perfect, right? Yeah. But it's only perfect at those two points. Uh, so so I, I made it perfect across an entire inch, and then I, I did steps of a tenth of an inch in between there to check, you know, what's its linearity in between those two points. And it's okay. It's not amazing. It's a few thou up and down uh, throughout that. Um, but that's, I mean, a lot of that could be due to the way I'm measuring it and things, and who knows if I had my mic you know, perfectly vertical, perfectly and, uh, perpendicular to it. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But but regardless, the fact that I can get an inch and I'm pretty close, the 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 um, the the thing that I was really shooting for was repeatability. Is like, can I go an inch and then back an inch and then forward an inch and do that? I don't know, ten times, and it always lands in the same spot, and it does do that. So that's nice. So one of the things uh, I'm I'm actually uh, excited about so the the main shaft that runs through the gantry on this 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 CNC has the the x-axis stepper motor in the middle of the gantry and it drives a shaft on both sides so a lot of a lot of CNC's now have the x stepper motor somewhere outside the actual gantry in fact a mm-hmm. lot of times you see two of them that drive it forward and backwards this one's in the middle and so I have two shafts that that meet at the stepper motor and um, previously, the CNC had couplers that just couple the shaft to the thing. I ended up just welding them right to the to the stepper motor, just because like why <laughs> use a coupler? I don't care. Like I'll I'm gonna st- straight up weld it. So I tack welded those on there. Um, but what I'm gonna try to do tonight, because I've been wanting to do this for a while, is have the stepper motor just spin at a slow rate and then TIG weld a rotating shaft onto it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a like a rotating table. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but I was thinking about it. It's like, where do you connect your ground clamp if you have a, a rotating shaft? And 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 the shaft Oh, is, yeah, through the bearings. Totally works yeah, fine. Yeah, like, I don't want to just connect it to, like, I don't know, the mounting bolt of the stepper motor. <laughs> so I guess I could try to get the ground clamp to spin around with the shaft if, i think if you put it on the shaft yeah uh you i don't know how much power you can be pumping through but it's just riding on it should be fine for, for the so the shaft is quarter inch uh and then the actual shaft on the stepper motor is half inch so i'm, I'm doing a quarter a quarter inch into a half inch and when i just tack welded it i used 100 amps uh and that that worked out pretty well. So I, d- I don't want to send a hundred amps through the stepper motor. You know? Oh yeah. Cause well, if you put it on the mounting bolt, it will go through the bearing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't want to do that. And technically I want to connect bearings, it to my quarter those bearings are, you know, only point contact. There's, there's technically in an ideal case, there's only one molecule of, or of that iron in that bearing. Not after a hundred amps goes through it. Yeah, going through that one <laughs> one atom there, right, right. So, I don't know. Like uh, the thing is, I have tax tack welds on it that are plenty strong enough. I could just leave it as is instead of putting a full fillet around the whole thing. But yeah. it would be nice, you know. 
The fillet would look cool. It would look cool. And I haven't... So I've been TIG welding now for about a year. And I say TIG welding in quotes because it takes a long time and a lot of practice to get good at TIG welding. I can make things stick together. That's about as much as I can do. And uh, I've I've wanted to do something rotational for a while so I don't have to worry about moving the torch. <laughs> I could yeah. focus more on the fillet. And so yeah, I was kind yeah. of excited about this one because I was thinking a while back about just busting one of these uh, steppers out before I was building the CNC and just using it as a rotation table. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get my chance tonight. Well, there's a YouTube channel... I think you watch it too. This old Tony. This old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he made a rotational table. I, I would see how he grounds that table and that that build. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because it rotates too. I I wonder if he grounded it through the shaft of the of the stepper. No, because he uses yeah. a motor. I don't think he uses a stepper. Yeah, but I mean, it's still a shaft and bearings. Yeah, yeah. So I would see how how he did that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'll check that out. I mean, regardless, I'll have the x-axis moving tonight because all I have to do is tack the two sprockets on the end and then grind them flat. I got it. Take a piece of aluminum foil, <laughs> fold it a couple times, and then drape it over the shaft. So you kind of <laughs> like making like a sleeve, right? Oh. <laughs> and then clamp onto that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder it's how... Like a, it's like a really inexpensive bushing or a... Uh, like a bushing for an electric motor. I wonder how long a few folds of aluminum foil would last against 100 amps of, of welding I mean, current. I mean, they used to wire houses with aluminum. Not aluminum foil, though. <laughs> yeah, but if, you know, enough contact area, I'd be fine. Yeah. So, uh, so I found something cool that I think I'm going to have to christen the CNC with. Uh, I found a website that... Uh, We'll put the link up there. It's ultimatesolver.com. But they have a, uh, a, a G-code creator on this website that is called MIDI to G-code, where you can enter in a MIDI file or just upload a MIDI file to this, to this link. And then it has a handful of configuration uh, uh, information, like how many steps per revolution your steppers go and how many axes you have and how many it actually reads how many channels are in the um the midi file so you could export just a guitar or just a piano or whatnot but it will take an a midi audio file and it will convert it to g-code and have your stamper motors play the music so <laughs> i found meatloaf's bad out of hell and I'm going to try to of have course. my CNC play Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. It's actually cool, too, because the, on this uh, this G-Code creator, they have um, you can have it set limits so your machine just doesn't drive itself into oblivion. Into the wall. Yeah, you can, you can have it go, I don't know, three inches forward and then three inches backwards and things like that. So, But, I mean, my machine's huge, so the, the, the cut envelope is... I'm not worried about driving it to insanity. I mean, Bat Out of Hell is an eight-minute song, so... Well, I, no, no, but what I'm saying is, like, I could make each axis a foot, and it would be fine, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't, I don't have a full foot of travel in my uh, Z-axis. I think I have eight inches. So, But, I mean, most of the stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on using this CNC to cut mainly flat, uh, flat objects, and I don't need a ton of Z-axis. In fact, the thickest thing I'm planning on cutting is guitar work, and, and that doesn't really get over mm, two and a half inches. 
but you the, can cut me some play fields for pinball machines. I could totally do that. Four foot That's only is, 2D work. Actually, no, uh, this thing... So the cut envelope was designed to be uh, four by four, but in reality, it's about four and a half by five. Oh, that's plenty big. Yeah. Playfield's three and a half feet by two feet. Oh, yeah. I could cut that easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reset vector. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm actually working on another one, so. Oh, you are? Like yeah. a personal one or with uh, a crew? Uh, I can't really say. Ah, okay. Well, so. that means with a crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, as soon as I have uh, as soon as soon I have my machine welded up and playing meatloaf, I will post that up in our Slack channel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another thing, actually, with that, um, so I bought one of those Chinese spindles that you can get on Amazon, the 2.2-kilowatt uh, spindles. Which, is that a water-cooled? Yeah, it's a water-cooled guy, which is super cool. And uh, so far, it's been, it's been awesome to work with. Um, but one of the things that I, I was reading and I now have to figure out, or I've been figuring out, I guess, since it's a VFD, a three-phase VFD that runs on 220 volt, it has some pretty nasty chopped up spikes that go from the VFD to the, uh, uh, the spindle itself. And, uh, first of all, just as like a a good steward of the environment. You don't necessarily want to just be chopping 220 and spitting that out everywhere. But second of all, it's right next to, you know, switches and your control signals that go to your steppers and things. You really don't want to just wire your spindle in. You want to actually put something decent there. So I did a bit of um, research and I found a company called, uh, I, I don't know how to, if you pronounce it this way, but I guess, I G U S, I guess, I guess. Yeah. So they do a uh, uh, motor control cable. Um, and they actually have a, a line of control cables called chain flex. And, um, I needed 16 slash four. So four conductor, 16 gauge wire, plus a shield on that in order to run everything. So 2.2 kilowatts results in 10 amps of current. Uh, if it was running max torque, max speed. Uh, so that would be, yeah, 16 gauge on that. So the the reason I ended up buying this is mainly because you can buy it by the foot with these guys, which is convenient because 16, it's surprising, 16.4 with a shield is not easy to find. That's not something that's readily available. 18.4 with a shield is everywhere. And I didn't want to undersize my cable. Um, but what's nice about this stuff, and we'll post a link up to it, this specific material is or cable is meant for motor applications that move so it's tested for a lot of flexing in fact uh you know depending on the radius that you actually flex the stuff it uh they rate it up to 10 million moves uh so i'm never gonna break that for sure but uh you know like if you went over to home depot and just bought 16.4 non-shielded sw cable you know the rubber stuff that's nice for like uh, extension cords it's like tool uh extension tool yeah. wire yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, you, you, that stuff's nice and all but it's not necessarily intended for this application so the the, the biggest thing that i'm kind of confused about maybe confused isn't the right word but that i'm working on is the shielding when when shielding something of this kind of power so it's four conductor 
right? Four conductor plus a shield, this cable. So I've got UV and W, which are the actual power phases. And then there's a ground wire, but then there's also a shield. So what I've been reading online is everyone says, connect your ground and your shield on both ends of the cable. So that means you have ground current that would flow through your ground wire, but also through your shield. And that seems really counterproductive to me. Yeah, I've never, I don't know how it is in CNC's, but for data cables and and other motor applications I've lo- I've worked with, you ground on one side. Yeah, right. And well, usually it's on your controller side. Exactly, exactly. So my thought was you ground the shield on one side, and that would be at the VFW. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, sorry, VFW, no, VFD. VFD. <laughs> Not the VFW. <laughs> The VFD, uh, and then and then the ground wire, I would connect on both sides. So the shield Correct, acts yeah. purely as a shield, like a drain. Yeah, uh, but it's there to absorb the EMF. Exactly, and uh, and what? But everywhere I've read online, I mean, obviously like, this is like CNC hobby, whatever. But yeah. everyone's saying no, you connect on both ends. That just doesn't make you, sense. If you connect it on both ends, basically it becomes a secondary ground wire, and it will have the same like. It would have the same potential swings as the ground exactly. wire would have. Exactly. So, like this, uh, that's where it's just kind of blowing my mind, and it doesn't make much sense. So we could test this, though. <laughs> you could hook it up the the on one end, mm-hmm. and then take your take like an antenna on your like on your oscilloscope. Oh yeah, that's or just cool. like an AM radio actually. Just hold if, up if, my scope probe <laughs> in the air. Yeah. And see if you what you pick up, and just see what the gr- background is comp- uh, compared to both of them. That's yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and, or, uh, in fact, you know what would be would be cool too is to see which one is better. Like if if you connect one ground at at the uh, the drive side or one side at at the uh, spindle side, mm-hmm. which one prevents the most? Or both. Or yeah, yeah, the, the, all three conditions, and um, and it may be that the people who are saying connected on both ends don't also have a ground wire. They might have three conductors in a shield, but I have four be. conductors in a shield, so yeah. I don't know. It's and and on top of that, it's kind of weird. I need to crack open my spindle because some people say that the ground wire doesn't actually connect to anything in the spindle. It's just a fourth <laughs> wire. So, and with this Chinese stuff, like you don't really get. Instructions. You, don't know what you, you just get a box with it in it. <laughs> but I mean, I've I've actually already spun it up, and uh, and and had the drive working. But it did like you know, I I was just doing that with some random cable I had lying around just to make sure it spun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, check out check out Igus or Igus, however you pronounce it, and uh, they got a bunch of really cool stuff on there. And if you ever have like. Any kind of motion-based electronics, these guys have a ton of cable, and you can buy it by the foot, which is cool. So uh, one last thing. Last week, I talked about replacing a transformer in that rack mount amp because uh, I was getting about 250 volts off of my weird transformer configuration. And last week, I had mentioned that uh, the transformer that was in the amp was a 12 to th- uh, 230 ratio or 12 volt to 230 um, step up. And I'm replacing it with a 10 to 230, which is about a 20% increase or decrease, depending on how you Mm -hmm. look at it. So I was expecting my output voltage in the power supply to change by 20%. 
and I measured it and it changed by exactly 20%. It went from 250 <laughs> volts to 300 and 300 is what I was originally hoping for. So it was like, Hey, go figure it worked. Yay. And, and, and it was funny cause last week I, I mentioned, uh, that I had already done this with a regulated power supply and I didn't notice any change in the sound of the amplifier and I did it this time and I still have not noticed a change in, in the sound, but it was, it was the principle, the original design. I wanted 300 volts. I didn't get it. So now I have it like literally it's three zero zero on my, on my meter. So I'm happy now. There you go. Yeah. Cool. That's what, that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So on to the RFO, rapid fire opinions. RFOs. Uh, so I put two articles up this week from Hackaday, and they're both kind of related in a way because um, I was just kind of cruising through Hackaday and noticed that there were two separate articles that were talking about um, using 3D printing and forming sheet metal either uh, with a press and some uh, forms or one of the art other articles was talking about using 3D printing to make dies for press breaks, which I was like, hey, that's pretty cool that we're starting to see that. And the fact that there was multiple articles about it is like people are actually trying to do things on this. So in this first article, um, the, the person doing it here was trying to make a sheet metal forming jig both like a, a press and well both sides of the die and then putting it in a i think it's a 10 ton press and cranking on it and uh, it came out with mixed results on it i mean it's it's worth it's honestly worth watching the entire video the video is kind of fun um especially to see like the design revision changes as it started off with like yeah we can do this and then like the forms just die, you know, just crack and explode. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that, that the person doing it was like having to go through all these changes. I don't know. It's super cool to see 3d printing being used in, in this kind of way, as opposed to like printing little boats and things like that. So, uh, the funny thing though, is in that first video, the guy who did it was printing all of these forms but then, like, didn't get what he wanted, so he went to his mill and milled, like, a block of steel and and replaced one half of the 3D print with, like, a really nicely milled piece of steel just to get what he wanted. He could have just done that first part. <laughs> exactly. So, I don't know. Like, the whole point was, like, could 3D printing do it? And in the end, he got a piece. In fact, it was a, um, a blade guard for a Sawzall. Yeah, I know. And it's, like, it's the... Ten dollar sawzall that you get at Harbor Freight, right? Yeah. Oh, and the like, amount of probably the amount of money he spent milling and doing all this work is well more than that. So the the uh, other article that was uh, talking about this was actually about making dies for um, uh, press breaks, and um, they actually ended up making some dies that were able to withstand five tons of pressure. Which I'm, I don't know how. Like that seems unbelievable with. 3d printing i mean it's 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 100 infill right so that that makes a huge difference in both print time and strength right uh especially when you're just talking about compression forces on the thing so mm -hmm. but i would love to see this uh kind of grow into something more maybe there's a way that people could start designing around understanding that hey i'm gonna pr uh, press or form something with 3D printing, therefore I need to change what the actual sheet metal piece looks like 
because you know you you're not gonna there's no way you're gonna get like a box out of it you know you're not gonna get like nice 90 bends out of this you're gonna destroy your 3d printed piece so maybe if you make designs that have less steep angles and and mm. press nicer then you can actually get away with it and it's really cheap i think one of the cool things though was with the the person that did the 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 break dies they were talking about hey maybe maybe we can do this 3d printed and then eventually get the tool steel one made because uh, we can go through design iterations and make all of our mistakes with the 3d printed stuff and then spend the big bucks on the tool steel because if you make one mistake on those things it it's it's pricey mm-hmm so well i've been um looking at doing uh molds for uh this is not doing do with 3d printing but um doing molds to make my own lenses for automotive applications what what like lenses? lenses that cover like like turn signals and stuff oh okay yeah yeah because a lot of these old cars there's not a lot of manufacturers out there that are still make unless you have a really popular car no one's making these parts anymore right and i'm a big fan of clear turn signal lenses i don't like the amber so i will usually i'll go in and replace them with a clear one and then put an orange amber bulb in it and um no one makes those for my wagon or my checker and so i was looking around online oh, what was it, a couple weeks ago and i stumbled up i just i can't remember what i was actually searching for but i stumbled upon a google image search image of someone making corvair chevy corvair lenses for their turn signals for clear and yeah you, you make a mold out of um silicon out of out of it you have to get a good turn signal first lens first uh fortunately all mine are in are intact so you basically have to polish it and get rid of all the scratches and stuff because any scratches will be It'll in just your mold. transfer yeah and then uh then you use a two-part uh pouring epoxy that's for making clear molds and and then you uh you actually you do it under pressure because i always thought you would like do it under vacuum like you'd try to pull the bubbles out but apparently you just put a bunch of pressure on it and it makes the bubbles pushes the bubbles like i guess gets rid of them (laughs) i don't know i don't know how that would work yeah but apparently that's the way to do it you don't pull a vacuum you you pressurize it Hmm. is is that like is that just for silicon because i swear you're supposed to pull a vacuum on mold making and it's just how they were doing it's under pressure okay cool they use a pressure vessel to do it so, gonna try that eventually. Yeah, that's way down the road, though. That sounds like that's another one of those like I need to build eight tools to do this thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, my father actually asked me about doing exactly that because uh, he was restoring an old dirt bike, and uh, and and the he's able to buy every part for this bike except for one, and it's the rear red brake light lens cover on that mm. and and his bike he has one but it's cracked and to buy a brand new it's just a piece of plastic it's like 180 dollars from somebody who makes reproduction ones and and he was like he has actually a good one but he has two of these dirt bikes so uh he was so like if, good if, one if, make a mold. yeah if he had the good one would it, he was asking about milling a mold actually and i was like you could do that you could do that but you'd have to digitize it first and that would be a pain in yeah, I think doing a silicon mold is the best way because then it's it's fa- it looks like a lot faster and easier, and it does work really well. Right. Um, 
Well, if I ever get that working in year 2023, um, I'll let your dad know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Brewery first. Yes, brewery first. Oh, man, three weeks away. That's right. um, I guess that's going to end this podcast. Yeah. Cool. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy.